0: prayer as we come to his word our great God here this morning would you continue to exalt Christ your son we thank you for our eager savior who is eager to have us for you and for himself we come this morning halting and stumbling and yet acknowledging that we are needy Lord come and be glorified among your people this morning Come and give your word, Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts and glorify the Son and help us more clearly see the Father and speak as you spoke through your word, now speak again by your word and by your work, in Christ's name, amen. Last week, our brother Mike helped us to revisit the breath of our spiritual lives, prayer is like breathing, how are we even spiritually alive if we're not breathing regularly, if we're not in prayer? Mike took us to the Lord's teaching to his disciples in Matthew chapter six. As we tend to do at the turn of every year, we take a Sunday just to pause and focus completely, first on prayer, or not always in this order, but as well, then just on the word. As some have said, these two form the tracks that are the rails for the train of our faith to travel upon prayer and the Word. So, this morning we are going to pause and take our time to revisit what is the food of our spiritual lives. It's the nourishment, it's what gives us strength and does its work in us, and that is God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, join me and But they are like chaff which the wind drives away, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." At bottom, what Psalm 1 is all about is a study in a contrast between the wicked and those of the word. You would think, well, shouldn't there be like a lot of room in between those? (laughs) a contrast between the wicked or those of the word, which will you be? What will the end of this coming year say about our lives in reference to those choices? First this morning, then, we will take from this Psalm the need for us to determine our bearing. Determine your bearing. Psalm One would encourage us at the outset of a new year, determine your bearing. This is like in uh, the movies when they're on a ship. there's been a lot of pirate movies lately. There are other ship movies out there, but it's that uh, that scene where the captain decides what we're going to do and they're going to make his way, and it's often you know uh, a, a signal that uh, of purpose and and direction, not just physically but metaphorically as well uh, Captain speaks and says, set our bearing five degrees south by southwest. And I'm not quite sure what that all means, but it sounds super cool. We understand that be off by just a degree or two changes the course entirely. You can miss a continent by being off by a few degrees traveling across the ocean. Determine your bearing. The word would encourage us today. Let's notice then two contrasting works of the righteous man, what the righteous man rejects, and what the righteous man secures. First, what the righteous man rejects here is found in verse 1. He does not walk, nor stand, nor sit in the way of the wicked. In other words, the righteous man rejects the thinking and the behavior and the attitude of the world its counsel, what it would say and how it would speak, its actions, how it would walk, and then the attitude, sitting in the seat of a scoffer. That is a progress downward, isn't it? It's a descent into a growing corruption. We're affected, make no mistake, by everything that we watch, everything that we read, everything that we scroll, all the people in our lives, Uh, the billboards we see and the conversations we have, all of them will have an influence upon us. And they are almost entirely the influence of the world, the influence of corruption, the influence towards first our thinking, then our acting, and eventually our very hearts, our belief, our attitude towards all things. If we're not quite aware that we are constantly in such a war, then we'll be taken captive. There's one thing. There's only one thing that can stay the influence of the world and that can renew our souls, and that is the word of God. So how much should we spend time in the word of God if it is the one thing that will renew us in the midst of what is for us a constant battle? Jesus said of us that we are to be in the world. But not of it. Jesus said to the Father, I ask you not to take them, Father, out of the world. And then he turns and he sends us into the world. But how will we remain salt and light in the world if we ourselves are not renewing our our thinking and our actions and our attitudes? regularly by the word of God. It doesn't happen magically or even mysteriously. It happens quite often, quite diligently. The question then is what influences us the most? What influences day by day our heart and our thinking? What influences our hopes? What influences where we're going to invest our time and the sacrifices that we will make because we will make them and the risks that we will take because we will take them for one reason or another? But what will influence those the most? What we see here is the righteous man rejecting these things by regularly renewing and sanctifying his thinking, regularly. Notice there at the end of verse 2, and in his law he meditates day and night. Otherwise, it's a downhill slide, isn't it? Even, even after the renewal through Christ in being forgiven and washed and in the indwelling of the Spirit Yes, it's the spirit that bears fruit in our life, but most often the fruit that he bears is by bringing the word to bear upon our conscience and our understanding. Notice also the other triad here. We we have not just counsel and standing and sitting. We have also, uh, pardon me, we don't have walking, standing, and sitting. We have counsel. We have the path, and then we have the seat. This is our thinking that gets affected. It's our, our acting that gets effective, affected. And then it's the very place that we end up settling in the end. The righteous man then is aware of all of these things and he knows you cannot, you cannot navigate a neutral path in this world. Going to need to understand that it's a battle. Dale Davis describes this well, speaking in his commentary on Psalm 1. He says, The righteous man is described here by what he shuns. He has a bias against evil in all of its forms. He's not just a nice, easygoing, tolerant chap who likes to share a Budweiser with you. He's not the good old boy. He gladly resists the power that moves him to evil. Typically, this is the kind of resistance that is bred through conviction in prayer, through soaking ourselves in the word to be able to resist the forces around us, right? By pouring over the word of God and letting it soak into all the cracks of our lives, by taking it both in large gulps at some times and at other times in small injections that will lead to our health. What the righteous man rejects the thinking, behavior, the attitude of the world. Well, we're already into it, but let's talk about the other half here, what the righteous man secures. It's there in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Here, the righteous man secures the word of God in his thoughts and his affections. He makes it his goal, goal to secure the word of God in the way that he thinks and in the way that he feels spiritual affections. The word here that is used in his law, he meditates day and night, literally means to mutter. You know that we're called to mutter the word of God? That should encourage us because you might be way more spiritual than you ever knew. Next time your spouse says, are you talking to yourself again? Man, I'm just, I'm just muttering like scripture tells me to. The idea here is to mull it over, to cogitate, to, to ruminate, to consider and reconsider, not just, not just a quick swipe and then it's gone, to reflect on it. Of course, this means for us that we just need to read the Word of God and be in it. You might be in a place where, for you... Maybe the goal for this year would be for the first time to read through the entire New Testament, if you never have, or read through the four Gospels for the first time in your life. Maybe this year is the time to say, Lord, you granting me your grace, I want to read through the whole Bible for the first time this year, reading the Bible. Maybe it is memorizing Scripture and deciding, I want to make a plan to to hide the Word of God in my heart. Maybe it's a scripture a month, maybe it's a scripture a week, maybe it's a scripture a day. In my reading this week, of course, I came across many examples. One was a, a man who wanted to invest the Word of God in his life and decided he would memorize a scripture a day. At the end of three years, he had a thousand verses that he could still repeat by memory at a verse a day. Maybe it's just studying the Word. Okay, for my regular time with the Lord, I'm gonna mostly read, but I also wanna find a way to to study the word. I I wanna learn some new tools. I wanna get a companion guide to help me, or I wanna step into a Bible study with some people that will hold me accountable to going deeper and asking some questions and making sure that I put them into context and pray over them and ask the Lord how to apply them in my life. But maybe there are some other ways that we haven't thought about securing the word of God in our thoughts and our affections. What about praying? the word of God just as an occasional exercise in our time alone with the Lord or better yet together with others saying hey let's just open up a passage and you read a verse and a couple of us will pray and then somebody else read a verse and a few of us will pray Man, what a sweet fellowship that we have because of Christ when we come together in his word and yet it's not difficult it's not complicated and yet how rare it is that maybe we take up such a simple thing that can be so rich in our lives. Maybe it's finding ways as a family just to read the word of God together out loud. Maybe, maybe without comments even, but just as a discipline. Or, or maybe reading it out loud to ourselves as we drive. Keep your eyes on the road. But, but just hearing it with our ears and making it pass through our thinking and the movement of our lips can be different than just silently scanning across a page at time. We should do deep dives into the word, most likely those happen on our own, but then we also should just do broad reading and be together in community in the word. All of these are the ways that the righteous man and the righteous woman will secure the word of God in his or her thoughts and affections. Now maybe most important of all in this opening portion is to notice something, and that is this, why. Why does the righteous man do it? Well, we're told there at the beginning of verse 2, because, because it's his delight. He didn't do it because God made him. He didn't do it because he's trying to impress his friends. He didn't do it because his parents said, you got to finish five chapters before the week is over, although that's a good assignment. Or because he was thinking, my wife will probably ask me, what did I read today, so I have to read something or else I have to lie again. No, he did it because it was his delight. He did it because it was his pleasure. He did it because he said, if there was one thing that I could prioritize to do because I just love doing it, it would be to soak in God's word. He does this for his joy and for his satisfaction because he knows that the word of God feeds his soul. He does it for his pleasure. As a little Catholic boy growing up, I was um, I was never encouraged to read the word of God on my own I was never taught how to read the word of God for myself later when I heard the gospel and I came to faith in Christ I remember being in a group of other young boys and uh, we would gather together and the leader would say turn to Matthew chapter 5 I ain't going to find Matthew chapter 5 in my Bible I ain't going to find the book of Matthew I don't own a Bible I have no idea what to do with the thing. And I was fascinated by the idea that the people could open the Bible and just read it and like hear from God. That's nuttiness. And that fascination by the grace of God some 40 years hence has never left me. It took me a lot of years to, to figure out how to start to read. And even then, when I did start to read, I couldn't make heads or tails of what was going on most of the time. But God's word never returns void, does it? I don't have to have it all figured out like I do today. Are you kidding me? No, his word never returns void. All I knew is it was the most fascinating thing in the world, fascination is turned into love, delight, and wonder. There's a brother here who 30 years ago, I remember sitting across the table from, and we were talking about time in the Word. And I remember saying the words to him, all I know is that this is my home. Delight in the word of God is the privilege of every believer. None of that story is unique to me. From the youngest Christian to the most aged saint, delight in the word of God is is our legacy because the spirit comes to live in us and now the word resonates with our soul and there is nothing else that is a delight. There is no place else that is a home like God's word. For the psalmist, it was his pursuit because it was his pleasure. And it was that pleasure that lit the fire of holy affections to stir his will, to believe, to rise, to read, to mutter, and to soak and be blessed. So let's be with Christ in the word in 2024. That is how we determine our bearing because nothing else can set course for us but the word of God. We, we determine our bearing not by what we say we want, not by how we struggle on our own, not even just by being desperate because I can be desperate and I will find a solution if I'm desperate enough, but I may find a solution in the wrong place. I might find the wrong thing to fill my soul. No, determining our bearing is choosing to secure the living word in our heart and in our mind and doing it for the joy, doing it for the delight of knowing him. Who do you wanna be? That's what the psalmist is laying out for me and for you. Who do you wanna be? Do you want to be the man that God has created you to be? Then be with him in the word. And this is no mere Sunday ceremony. Joshua, who led the nation of Israel, the general of God's armies, he was commanded to meditate upon the word. In fact, he was promised that it would be the only way that he would make his way successful. I'm kind of thinking maybe God might have told him, hey, you ought to practice your sword fighting, you ought to, you know, study, you know, the art of war, you ought to, you know, know the, uh, the, the state of your army and your generals and where your strengths are, you ought to learn the lay of the land. There's a lot of other stuff he should have done. The Lord said, your success depends upon one thing, and that is that you meditate upon my word. Whatever your vocation As believers, we must determine our bearing by being much in the word with the Lord, by what the righteous reject and what the righteous secure. Secure the word of God in your thoughts and your affections. If we do that, if we do that, then next, enjoy the fruits. Enjoy the fruits of God's word living in you. Enjoy the fruits of God's word living in you. Verse 3, speaking of the righteous, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Verse 3 describes the consequences, the glorious supernatural consequences of delighting in the word and meditating on the word. Five consequences given here. First, stability comes to the man of God who meditates, to the woman of God who delights in the word. He will be like a tree firmly planted. I don't know, do you ever need any stability in your life? Second, refreshment, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. In fact, the word here for planting has the idea almost of a transplanting. It's a new start. It's, it's being taken up from the root and the soil that we were born into in our fallen state in Adam, and now that we are born again in Christ, we are transplanted into a new soil because this word is our life, and it is our richness, and it is our refreshment. The word here for streams of water uh, is translated channels, or, or literally it's dividings. It's the idea of the the trickling of the water breaking up and dividing and just filling throughout so that the soil is rich and fertile. It is moist and it is nourished. That is what the word of God does for the soul of man. Refreshment. Like cool water to the weary soul, so is God's word to our burdens. Are you anxious for rest? Are you parched from bitterness? Are you exhausted by your burdens? Do you need stability and refreshments? Enjoy the fruits of God's word living in you because that's exactly what it does in us. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clean, enlightening the eyes. Stability and refreshment, that is the work of the word. Third, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Does the word of God ever return void? No, I know Isaiah 55, don't try and trick me, right? No, it always achieves the purpose for which the Lord sends it. And the word of God has purpose to bring fruit. But notice something in this passage, in its season. Fruit will come, but it may or may not be in my time. When we mutter over the word, and mullets. It will bear fruit. Sometimes the response is immediate, right? Sometimes the Lord grabs my foolish thinking by the throat and strangles it and says, look, that's dumb. Let's kill it. Let me me show you truth. Let me show you life. Let me show you richness. Let me show you hope. And it may be hope through death, but I resurrect, so don't be afraid. Sometimes it's immediate. Other times it may take long seasons of soaking in the word where the Lord has to to reform our thinking about ourselves and about our situation and about others. But the tree that's planted there by these streams will bear fruit in its season. Along with responding to the Spirit, along with inviting the Spirit to help us, it is the Word of God that does this work. It's how fruit happens in the life of a Christian. We are soil. If there are no seeds planted into that soil, nothing will grow. If there is no seed, there will be no fruit. So are we investing those things? into the soil of our lives fourth fourth fruit of God's word living in you is perseverance which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither this means vitality when we need it doesn't mean that um, I wake up every morning with a silly grin on my face and go okay I'm ready for another day no we have different personalities we walk through different seasons And the Spirit of God and the Word of God are sufficient for everything from from our lament to our rejoicing, from our grief to our celebration. The Word of God is sufficient. But perseverance, vitality, it doesn't look necessarily like a a dumb grin on our face every moment. Sometimes the waters run deep, but they run. And boy, there's a life there that can't be found anywhere else. What it means is renewed strength for the long haul. How are you going to renew your strength? I can't, but he can and his word does that. It's what it's meant to do. Its leaf does not wither. As I move closer to being an old man than from being a young man, I begin to savor words like these more and more. I wonder what I'll be like as an old dude. I hope I'll be a godly old dude. My mother-in-law is 85 years old. She has scars on her heart from the difficulties of her life. She has challenges today in her later years, but she is a fruitful woman. She is a durable, faith-filled, beautiful woman of God as she loves the Lord and soaks in his word. We were recently uh, commiserating together, Molly and I, with uh, her mom, just about some challenges. And as, as she is wont to do, as she often says, her mother said, it's okay. The Lord knows. I'm like, yeah, but no, that's the end of the story. It's okay. The Lord knows. Perseverance, and then fifth, fruit of God's word living in you is favor, favor with God, and whatever He does, He prospers. Does this mean that we will always um, have the successful company, always get the promotion, always get the best job, always get the best deal on every purchase or come out on top in every scuffle? No, hardly. This prospering may, in fact, be tangible in the realms of success in our world because God's truth does help us navigate A God-created world wisely. And so sometimes the result really is, well, I just kind of was playing the long game and I was less selfish and more God-honoring and it chose to work out super well. But we also know that we are promised trouble. And as followers of Christ, we are promised persecution in this life. And so prosperity isn't always in ways that might be so readily seen. But the believer's prosperity... Will always be in his favor with God. What if you could know that whatever you endeavor to do, I mean, I, I want to just throw out a few things, but it's so everything. Whatever might be valuable to you, that you could know that there would be prosperity in it. Man, if I'm selling that, you're buying, right? And whatever he does, he prospers. The outcome may not be what I expect or what I think is right, but it will be God-glorifying. It will have favor with him if, by my every step, my effort has been to honor him and to soak in his word and let him guide my way. Secure the word of God in your thoughts and your affection. And your ways, then, will both honor him and be used by him. Finally, then our passage this morning, we're shown that this determination of our bearing, that it sets a course. It sets us on a course that ultimately will lead to our destiny. That's why I used the analogy and the words that I did at the beginning, because that's what the psalm, I think, does. And it brings us to at the end. It's at this point here in the last half that we're introduced to the terrifying alternative, of not delighting in the Lord and meditating on it. The alternative of living without the word. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. I should just pause there, by the way. Um, The brevity of the description is shocking at this point. After five descriptions of the richness of the fruits of God's word living in us, After the the beauty of the, the dedication and the delighting and the meditating, what do we get of the wicked chaff? What can you say about chaff? Not much. That's the nature of being chaff. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the psalmist paints for us four deficits of the wordless life. First, without the word, the wicked have, four things, without the word, the wicked have. First, no weight or substance. The wicked have no weight or substance. In this life, the wicked can be very impressive by the by the power that they wield, by the authority that they throw around, by the influence that they have, by the money that they control, by their manipulation, by any number of things. The wicked are impressive in this life, but in the end, they have no weight and they have No substance. Chaff is tossed up into the air so it can be blown away by the gentle Mediterranean breezes so the the real fruit, the nugget of the grain, can fall back to earth and be gathered. Even the strongest of human opinions apart from the word are without any weight and without any substance, and they will blow away through the winds of the centuries and be long since forgotten. And eventually they will ring hollow. One day, critical theory that holds sway today will finally be deposed, and it will be seen for its empty, vapid, foolish grounding that it is. And amen, Lord God, let it be as soon as possible. Marvin Olasky tells the story of Horace Greeley. He was editor of the New York Tribune for over thirty years. Uh, He lived um, in the 1800s. He was a man of great influence. He believed that human beings were essentially good in their nature. During the 1840s, he backed the founding of a series of different communes, several dozen, in fact. He also advocated various other causes. Among them was free love. I read that, and I thought, 1960s? What decade are we in? He was always pressing for something new, as if he might uh, usher in a a man-made utopia. He ran for president. You heard of Horace Greeley? Maybe not. In 1872, but he was crushed. After the election, you look back on his life. He viewed it as a waste and a sacrifice to one foolish crusade after another. In a statement that he made not long before he died, he said this, I stand naked before my God. The most utterly, hopelessly wretched and undone of all who have ever lived, I have done more harm and wrong than any man who ever saw the light of day. Maybe the only thing worse than being chaff is realizing that you're chaff. The human opinions that hold sway of this day will be long forgotten and tossed into the garbage bin. Without the word, The wicked have no weight or substance. Second, they have no justification. This is what the life is like without the word. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. How do you stand before a holy God? You hear his word. You receive his word. You obey and respond to his word. But a wordless life has nothing upon which to stand. Apart from the blood of Christ, what can justify us before a holy God? Nothing. Third, without the word, the wicked have no real community, no real community. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Notice here at the the heading of the book of Psalms, the psalmist, that's a, a, a title that we give capital P for some dude, it was almost certainly a dude, some dude who brought together the coalition of 150 psalms and may have even written a number of them, led by the Holy Spirit decided that the concept that should be at the heading of the way down the prayer book of Scripture would be the grounding in the Word of God. And so the invitation into the community of prayer and the community of faith is found here by entrance through the word of God. First Peter says you have been born again, not of perishable things, but through the living and abiding word of God. It's the word of God that gives us birth that not only brings us into relationship with him, but even as well relationship with one another's. Without the word, we're just strangers and orphans and enemies. I say it that way because brothers and sisters, without the word of God in our lives, even being born again, we would still be strangers and orphans and enemies to one another, wouldn't we? It is the word that binds us together in the assembly of the righteous when we gather. The question is, as believers, will we settle for living a wordless life like the wicked do? Fourth, without the word, the wicked have no future. Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is their destiny. It is the final word, and it could not be more horrifying than everything you could imagine it to be. This is the contrast that is set up so we determine our bearings, knowing that we're headed one way or another. Yes, Christ alone saves. You can read the Bible through a hundred times. It doesn't mean you're immediately born again. But for the believer to live on such a wordless path is so empty and inviting of God's correction and rebuke. Rather, he entices us with the encouragement of the richness of his word. The people of God were never meant to live without it. And so we'll close with this contrast given here in the last verse. Rooted in the word, let's look at what the righteous have. Rooted in the word, the righteous have the Lord's attention and his care. The righteous have the Lord's attention and his care for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. We understand that this is a biblical knowing. It's the same kind of knowing that was used for Adam and Eve, for a man and his wife. Sexual intimacy, which is meant to be the picture of a a fullness of giving of one to another. And when God knows a man or God knows a woman, then there is a fullness of intimacy, of understanding. The Lord knows all that is the way of the righteous, all of his steps, all of her decisions, all of the circumstances. Rooted in the word, that's what we have. The climax of all that the word ultimately then delivers to us is not just better choices, is not even just better thinking or even a renewed attitude or a proper perspective as as supernatural and and as wonderful as those are. What, What the rooting in the word ultimately bears fruit in us to do is to bring us to a person and to bring us into the presence of God who knows us. This is the climax. Don't think he's on a new topic just because it's two and a half verses later than the fruits that he said before. No, this is the crowning fruit, the very presence and person of God. Here's the question. Do you believe that? I would propose that you know the answer. Just go back and look at how much time you spend in the word. That is the answer for you and for me. Because he would deliver the fruit of his presence and his person to me But he would do it as we soak. Jesus came in the flesh. God to dwell among men. And do you remember what he was called? The word. All of the word of God written is meant to bring us to the word of God in flesh. To the word of God who spoke. So start with Jesus. Friend, if you are here today, understand we're not talking about a new self-help discipline so that you can turn over a new leaf and make some good New Year's resolutions. We're saying, no, if you want to have a life that will be different from anything in this world and that will last in any way into eternity, it starts with a person, it continues in his word, and it will ultimately bring you deeper into that person. So start first with Jesus. John 17, verse 3, this is what Christ said in his prayer to the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Start with Jesus and make it your goal to know the Father and know the Son. Then receive the words of Jesus and receive them every day. John 6 Christ says there, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the very words that he gives are our daily bread. And then finally abide in his words day and night. Christ says in John 8, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word or abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. All of the word of God is meant to bring us to a person and to abide in him. Do you think we have exhausted all the work of the word of God in Psalm 1 this morning? (laughs) We're kidding ourselves, right? This is barely the tip of the iceberg, and yet, look at how much is just right here. Do you want to know the Lord? If so, then be with him. In the, Lord, in the word. Do I want to be near to the Lord? I just need to be with him in his word. How will you be rooted in the word in 2024? Maybe you need to go home today and prayerfully ask God and say, what are the plans that you would have me for my reading for this year? Do you want me to take up some new discipline of study or memorization or as a family or as a couple or maybe in my workplace, reading together or sharing? What are those new ways? Ask the Lord because he'll show you. He wants to show you. He delights for you to delight in his word. And may you delight yourself in the law of the Lord and be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which bears its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither, and in all that you do, that you prosper. Stand with me, let's pray. Gracious Lord our God, we rejoice that you have given us something so rich as your very words, your eternal truth, your divine revelation that speak to us greater than anything that this world has ever known. And in fact, it weighs and it judges, it navigates and it trumps everything in the thinking of our world. And we praise you for this, almighty God. We don't worship your word, but we do delight in it. We, we come to you because you have spoken and you have ordained to use this word to draw us near. So Lord, would you show us what it means for each of us today, tonight, this week to delight in the law of the Lord and make it ours, that we might experience more of all of these fruits. What I don't think anything that I've shared today has taught anyone anything new. But, Lord, we need to be reminded. We need to be refreshed. And your word does the work to energize us towards your purpose. Lord, bless the preaching of your word in the hearts of your people to do your work. This is what we ask. All for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us.